This is Amy Cohen Epstein, founder and executive director of the 20 plus year old nonprofit organization, the Lynn Cohen Foundation, and the SEAM, the series for education and awareness in medicine. In this podcast, I'll be interviewing female founders, entrepreneurs, scientists, doctors, researchers to talk about women's health, wellness, and preventive care. Take a listen. Welcome to the SEAM and the SEAM podcast. I'm very excited to have Sean Tutum today as my guest. Sean um, has been in private practice since 2002 and has taught acupuncture and Chinese herbalism throughout the US, Europe, and Australia since 2004. Um, In 2000, you co-founded the Village Health Project, a nonprofit organization that applied Chinese medicine to HIV AIDS relief in Southern Africa, and I believe ran the project for eight years. Um, You've designed proprietary herbal formulations for golden flower Chinese herbs, a product I personally use. Um, And you've been a professor for many years at the Southwest Acupuncture College in Santa Fe, New Mexico. So I'm really excited to have you here today, and I will be totally honest, which is that um, I had acupuncture this just this afternoon. <laughs> um, so I'm going to start with that because I, I had never been a believer in acupuncture, oh. and personally, I had always felt like I could, you could solve everything through just straight science you know, medical from a research laboratory with white coats at a hospital, you know, a well-known hospital in LA or New York or Houston or wherever it may be. And then I had crazy hormones as so many of us do women in our perimenopausal phase, which is lovely because it can last, you know, 10, 15, 20 years. And the only thing that has worked for me to stabilize my hormones is acupuncture. So I'm a huge believer. I'm so excited to talk to you today. And with that, will you just tell a little bit more about yourself from your bio and then, you know, more what you do and why you love what you do? Uh, Yes. Well, thanks. First of all, I'm I'm honored to be here. Um, I've been in private practice for, uh, it'll be 20 years in May. Most of that was in Santa Fe, New Mexico. I spent about seven years in Providence, Rhode Island practicing. I do a lot of teaching uh, and have over the course of my career. And uh, most of my career has been focused on um, uh, women's health and pediatrics. That's, that's uh, been, been the focus of most of my work. And I just find Chinese medicine to be absolutely spectacular, really. You know, I, I've 20 years into this and my mind gets blown on a regular basis. So I'm a firm believer in it. And I, I think it's just really extraordinary medicine. I think um, it, it, it allows us to treat all of the sort of dark hidden corners that Western medicine doesn't reach, you know? And, and it's been my experience uh, over, over the course of my practice that we usually get all of the cases that the West has sort of given up on. Um, which makes for a hard, you know, makes for a hard practice. But uh, but I've had a lot of success. I really really enjoy working with um, with women's health. I really enjoy working with the kids, and uh, and I'm happy to tell you everything you want to know today. How did you get into it? What put you down this path? That is a long story. I will try to keep it short. 
in my former life, I was a musician and uh, I, I heard, it's a strange story as well. I heard in Bira music, which is music of Southern Africa, Zimbabwe in particular, um, on the college radio station. <laughs> and I kind of went crazy and decided I had to learn how to play, play it. So I moved to Zimbabwe with a wow. non-governmental organization and learned the instrument. But subsequently, while I was there, the HIV AIDS rates, you know, are just absolutely sky high. And, you know, roughly 50% of people between the age of 20 and 50 years old there had HIV. So my close friends, my teachers were all dying. And when I came back to the, when I came back to the US, I came back with the intention of studying medicine for the purpose of going back to try to do something useful. Um, and that's how I got into it. Uh, and I, I met my business partner on my very first day in acupuncture school uh, over 20 years ago. And we, um, and we decided to start that clinic together. So that's how it all got started. And then it's just sort of snowballed from there. Really. That's amazing. And have you been back to Zimbabwe a bunch or is that just a, what have you done there since? We, um, so we started a non- uh, we started a non-governmental organization there in, in combination with a local NGO, which was doing really extraordinary work with diet, mm -hmm. and then with a spirit medium, which uh, a, a Nanga, which are the mm -hmm. spirit healers, and they're licensed and everything in Zimbabwe. And so it was kind of those three elements. It was sort of dietary nutrition, Chinese medicine, sort of a barefoot doctor approach to Chinese medicine and um and the spirit medicine and um and we had really extraordinary results with that i was not there the whole time uh my my partner was there more often than i was but um we, but we ran that project for eight years until it just got too dangerous um and we we actually had to pull out for security reasons so so yeah that's that so that, that's that's amazing that's amazing um, to hone in on women's hormones and women's health, let's start a little broader than that, because obviously that's my background, that's where we come from, and that's, you know, what we're talking about a lot on this podcast and, or, you know, my life. So one, just overall broad, tell us about the relationship between acupuncture and women's health, wellness, and preventive care. Well, the, the basics boil down to this idea of yin and yang, the, the, the balance of sort of yang energy, which is all the things we associate with, with life, with energy, with daytime, with the sun, with activity, so on and so forth, going to work, all of that kind of stuff. And then yin energy is the sort of more quiet, more retreated, darker, nighttime, rest, sleep, right? Um, all of those things are kind of considered yin. And it's important to understand that those aren't separate, right? We wouldn't think of the, a single day as two different things. It's just two parts of the same thing. Um, in the West, we tend to want to break them into, into separate ideas. But, but it's one idea. And the, the most common problem with, with women's health, but men's health as well, certainly, is there's just simply an overabundance of, of yang energy and an undervaluing of things that are yin. 
And we can see that in our basic conversations. You ask somebody that you just meet for the first time what their name is. And the second question is, what do they do, right? It's always about what are we producing? What are we making? What energy are we creating in the world? What work do we do? And there's so little value put on the idea of yin, of rest, of nourishment, of quiet, of slowing down. Um, and specifically, um, you know, in the realm of women's health and, and cancer, the problem is almost always that we are, um, there is a yang excess. We drink, we, we take too many yang stimulants, too much coffee, too much sugar, too many drugs, too much alcohol. All of these things are very, very yang. And we simply don't value yin to the same degree as yang. And I think you can even make that argument, you know, at least historically, socially. I'm glad to see that's changing. Um, but yin is just criminally undervalued. And when we, uh, when we are constantly so active and so overstimulated, that yang energy needs yin. It's like the fire, it's like the wood in a fire. You can't have a fire without the actual material and yin is that material. And we keep trying to push and push and push and push this sort of empty energy running on stress hormones, running on caffeine, running on sugar all day long. And that yin becomes depleted. And that is actually the, the source of the cause of most, um, hormonal disease and ultimately of cancers. Um, it, gets, it gets much more complicated than that, but when the body doesn't have enough yin, when it doesn't have enough fluids, when it doesn't have enough blood, then it tries to hold on to that. And so a really, really good example, an easy example of that to understand is the issue of fibroids when women don't have enough blood now this is not a one-to-one -one translation right i'm translating from chinese medicine into the into into english and it doesn't translate exactly so it's not we're not talking about blood exactly but the sort of nutritive substance of the body when we uh when we don't have enough of it we hold on to it and women are particularly prone to this because of menstruation because they're losing blood every month so it's more common for women to need to hold on to their yin. And that results in issues of fibroids, which is why post-menopause, when women stop menstruating, fibroids tend to go away because the body doesn't have the need to hold on to that yin substance anymore. And that's essentially the, the kind of basics of it. So most of what I'm doing with, as far as the lifestyle issues in my practice, is really, really trying to encourage people to slow down, to rest, to do a little bit less, you know, to go move a little bit slower. And that doesn't necessarily mean we have to quit our jobs or stop doing the things we love doing. But even the way in which we, we do that can, can be so important because the body only has two speeds. We either have the sympathetic nervous system turned on or we have the parasympathetic nervous system turned on. And uh, 
and you can't have you can't have one on while the other's on. So while we're kind of in sympathetic nervous system stress hormone overdrive, that is depleting our our internal resources. And so even just doing things more slowly, more mindfully, try to breathe more calmly, all of that makes makes a really really huge difference and a lot of the a lot of the most potent things in my experience in my practice in Chinese medicine have been the simplest um, and that's and that's one of them uh, because our bodies again our nervous systems you know if we're running late to a meeting our nervous systems cannot distinguish between that stress and the stress of the fact that we're about to get eaten by a bear. We, it, the body really doesn't have gears. It only has go or stop. Um, and so that's a, that's a huge issue. And hydration is a huge issue, the, the sort of nourishment of yin. I mean, one of the best ways to do that is get more rest, get more sleep. But if you're open to it, I'd love to talk about you know, what that means uh, for people kind of on a daily basis and what people can do to kind of nourish that for themselves. Yeah. I mean, on the nutrition side, I think we, you know, that's, we, I've dug really deep into that for sure. I'm really interested from you in two things. One different, the herbs and, and, you know, how sort of those are supplements and how you prescribe them and how you use them in your practice. And then also from an acupuncture point of view, you know, what is it that you're, what does the acupuncture do specifically to help stimulate this balance between the yin and the yang? Like, is it, you know, when, I mean, I know when I hit, you know, today he even got in a spot and I was like, oh my God. And he's like, well, that's your liver, you know, um, or that's your sinuses. My sinuses are stuffed and I could just feel it run through my body. Um, can you speak to that a little bit? I find that to be so fascinating. Yep. There's, there's, um, the channel system, which is, which is like a system of, of circulation, is extremely complex. And most acupuncturists tend to work with the primary channels. The primary channels are the, the sort of main thoroughfare mm -hmm. through which the energy and the blood move. And each of those channels is connected to a particular organ system. So uh, on these channels are acupuncture points. And the acupuncture points serve as points of access into the body that um, through which we can give the body certain signals and messages. It's a acupuncture is really a conversation with the body from the very get-go. The, the main diagnostic, uh, diagnostic tool that we have is taking the pulse. Right. And when we're taking the pulse, we're simply listening to what the body is telling us to do. And then we respond by essentially having this conversation by accessing these different points, which send different messages to the body. And they can do a lot of things. Tell the, ask the body to raise the energy, ask the body to lower the energy, ask the body to circulate the energy, ask the body to calm the energy. Um, so in a nutshell, that's kind of what, what acupuncture boils down to. Uh, there are different systems, particularly for in as far as yin goes and hormones go, um, sort of within the reproductive realm. Uh, the the kidney is the organ that that governs our um, reproductive health, our sexual maturation, and so on and so forth through the life cycle. 
So when you, uh, when you needle the kidney channel, it does kidney things, right? It, it, it actually causes the body to sort of internalize. It slows people down. It calms people down. It draws the energy inward. Um, and, and each of those channels functions in those ways. I mean, I don't think we have time to go over the, you know, all, all of, of them, no. <laughs> but, <clears throat> excuse me, but that's the essence of it is that you are giving the body um, signals and opening different uh, different acupuncture channels. There are deeper ones within the body that, that connect directly to the endocrine system, that connect directly to the reproductive organs, to the uterus, and so on and so forth. Um, and you're just simply giving the body, uh, you're having a conversation, you're giving the body messages about, about um, how to start to shift to change the way that it has been doing things uh, into the way that it sort of needs to be doing things. And the beauty of it is that that all comes from the patient, right? This is never us enforcing our will on a patient, at least I think if you're good at it. If you're good at it, you listen to what you're told to do and you respond. So your body is always in charge of the treatment, which I find really I just find that very powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and so that's the essence of acupuncture. Herbs are a little bit different. Um, you know, er- herbs are, I-, I look at herbs, herbal medicine is sort of like advanced nutrition. You know, right. it's, it's and, and nutrition is extraordinarily powerful and herbs are just sort of a different form of that. So for example, in these types of cases, we use um, herbs just like we would use food that have a very sort of watery quality and unctuous quality, <clears throat> right? Things that actually nourish, nourish in. And in doing so, when you give the body more of what it's asking for, more of what it needs, then it doesn't have to, it's not in this, um, situation where it sort of feels threatened and it's having to kind of hoard. I mean, that's really what it's like is that the body kind of hoards or holds on to that which is precious to it. And that can lead to ovarian cysts and fibroids and cancers and so on. When it has what it needs, the whole system relaxes and everything's able to kind of circulate more freely and the bottom body doesn't feel the need to, to hold on to those substances anymore. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's the essence of what herbal medicine is, is simply providing the body with the resources that it is currently lacking in, in order to create that balance to find its own homeostasis once again. And are you a advocate of doing them in tandem? of, you know, really herbs and acupuncture together or any other therapies that you recommend? It really depends on the, on the patient because, you know, as cliche as it sounds, everybody really is, you know, um, very, very individual and every patient is different. Um, There are some cases where, um, where I find, you know, I find acupuncture to be so effective that I don't really need herbs, Mm -hmm. but there are other cases specifically usually digestive issues um, and, and oftentimes um, a lot of menstrual disorders respond really, really, really well to herbs. Um, So it's a, it's a, it's a balance. And then there are also, you know, I use a lot of moxibustion in my practice, which is 
uh, rubbed mugwort leaf. It's, it's not at all dissimilar to rubbed sage. If you've ever used that in cooking, it's a similar kind of plant. You rub the leaf, mm -hmm. you process that in a certain way, and you burn that mugwort on certain acupuncture points, which adds a, 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 a stronger, more kind of strengthening quality to the acupuncture point. I do a lot of that. Um, there are um, techniques like scraping, or it's called gua sha, which is sort of a form of Chinese massage. You can even use a like soup spoon and you'll, you'll sort of scrape down the channels. I end up doing a lot of that. Mm. Um, but most of the time, um, yeah, it usually ends up being both acupuncture and herbs. And the herbs are in many different forms. We can, we can prescribe them in raw form where you literally throw a bunch of twigs and leaves and things in a, in a bucket and cook it up like a tea. Um, and then we have these kind of concentrated granules, which is just a, a Chinese herbal tea, which has been concentrated and then reconstituted in water. So you drink it, drink it like a tea. And then there are the uh, patent medicines, the, the pill form medicines, which a number of different companies make and a number of Chinese companies make them. But they're all based on, these are all based on Chinese herbal formulas that are literally thousands of years old. I mean, the most famous herbal text in Chinese medicine is 2000 years old, and we still use those exact same formulas today, and they're extraordinarily effective. And it was a, and it was a profoundly uh, sophisticated form of medicine for the past 2000 years. It's quite different from Western herbalism, which I, which I have a lot of respect for and, and like, but is, is much simpler than Chinese herbalism. Chinese herbalism tends to involve long formulations, many, many, many different combinations of herbs, often up to you know, sometimes 10, 20 different herbs in a single formula to um, work synergistically with, with themselves to do a number of different things simultaneously. Because not every person's the same. You, know? and right. you, can, you have people coming in with very, very strong constitutions who can handle stronger medicine. You have people coming in with weaker constitutions who you need to sort of boost and strengthen and nurture a little bit more. Um, mm -hmm. They can't take, you know, very strong purgatives and these kinds of things. So it's a really sophisticated form of medicine. Um, and, uh, and it really just depends on, on the person sitting in front of me, you know, and what's, and what's best for them. It's amazing. It's, it reminds me of when I went to, um, Egypt when I was 13 years old and I saw the pyramids and, all these other incredible, you know, structures that had been made thousands of years ago without any in modern science, without modern technology, without modern math. And it just, you think in some ways we were so much smarter then <laughs> as yeah. a culture and as a civilization, because it was just so much simpler and you sort of worked with what you had and were able, you know, the smart brains then were able to do such incredible things. I believe in Western medicine and the advancements that we've made, but some of it, you know, really is based on things that have been taught and retaught for thousands of years. And I think it's, it's incredible. I also really like what you were saying at the very beginning about this, you know, being able to respect both Eastern Western sciences and perhaps use them both. And the sense that the, you know, what you're doing sort of picks up with the cases that doctors have sort of shrugged their shoulders and said, I don't, you know, we've tried everything, you know, surgeons do surgery, you know, specialists focus on their specialty. And if they can't find the answers, it's like, well, you know, 
sorry, we helped you. Um, in my own world of breast and ovarian cancer research, I can't tell you the number of women that have come you know, over the last 24 years that I've been doing this, have come to me or emailed me or called me or texted me, whatever, and said, you know, I had all these symptoms, you know, like legitimate. I had incredible weight gain right in my belly region. And I went to three doctors who told me that I was just getting older and needed to change my diet a little or need to exercise more until, you know, I finally said, no, no, there's something going on. There's something wrong here. But there's so many women in particular who don't go down that road, who accept the answer of, no, don't worry about it. It's fine. And sort of then take a step back. And I, in some ways, I feel like that's related to sort of Eastern medicine. It's like, well, let's look at you as a whole person, as a whole body and find out, you know, why is something off? And if it's off, how can we, how can we diagnose it in a way, like you said, that is patient-centered, that comes from you telling your story, your, you know, what's changed in your body and why it feels off. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I, I think it's, <clears throat> I, I think it's criminal. I mean, there is, there is an abundance of arrogance in medicine in both the West and the East. There's no shortage of it um, to go around. But good medicine, and this applies again to, 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 to any medical system, is simply observation, you know, really, really paying attention and really, really watching for the signs and the clues and the indicators. Now, we, you know, we understand... Uh, we understand physiology differently. We understand, um, you know, how the body works differently. But within our system, it is all extremely scientific. This isn't this isn't made up. This is thousands of years of observation and study and work. Right. And it it's hard to translate because it's like trying to translate to another language. You know, it's yeah. it's challenging. But it's a but it's an extremely sort of sophisticated system of medicine, just as the as the West is, and it and it requires a great deal of humility. Mm. You know that's why we call it practicing medicine. I just don't believe that there is any such thing as mastery of medicine. You practice, and I will be practicing until the day I take my last breath. Right. Uh, you know it requires humility, and it requires really seeing the person in front of you, you know, for, for their individuality and what they are really trying to tell you. And that's why I think the, the pulse is so beautiful because it's, it's a way past all of the layers that we, that we all build up, you know, it's the presentation of self in everyday life, the, the, the layers that we build up as human beings. And it's, and it's a way to get beyond that and have a conversation with sort of the deepest level of the body and ask, what do you need from me? You know, as your provider, what, what do you need me to do? I see my role simply as a facilitator. I don't do the healing work. Every patient does their own healing work. And I am simply there to facilitate that work. The problem is, trying to learn that language well enough that you can that you can give them what they're asking for and in tough clinical cases you know i mean you know let's not kid ourselves cancer is not easy um, to work with and in tough clinical cases that can be hard because there can be there's sort of layer upon layer upon layer that's built up over time that's the nature of cancer i mean we all have dysfunctional cells we often all have cancerous cells 
That's not the problem. The problem is when it builds up to the point where our body's resources can't manage that. And so we go from floating above our, our sort of own levels of toxicity to being you know, overwhelmed by them and drowned by them. And that's when you know, tumors and cancer show up. Um, and, and that's what I think acupuncture is just spectacularly good at is, is you know, the, the ways that we have to engage with diagnostics are different. And I love Western diagnostics, don't get me wrong, they're great. Um, but so is this, you know, and it's really, really powerful. And I would like to see um, a, a more genuinely integrated healthcare system. You know, what, what we're getting is sort of Chinese medicine practitioners kind of getting integrated into the medical system, but the, but the, the, the Western approach is always primary, right? And we're sort of secondary. We're seen as sort of ancillary practitioners. And I, when I've had the good fortune and the luck to work with doctors who are really open to it, and we are actually working sort of as equals, that's when I've seen really spectacular results, specifically with, with cancer treatments. Yeah. Um, because the, we, can, we can both work to, at its best, what we do will support what is being done in the West. And so there are different approaches when people are undergoing chemo or radiation or hormone therapy than when they're recovering from those things, right? right. Or when they're preparing for those things. Um, and that's what I think creates the most sort of potent combination. At least that's what I've seen. I completely agree. I mean, there's no question. Just seeing a person as a whole person and that all that you can do to help someone who is you know, self-aware enough to figure out how to ask, right. And to sort of hone in on, here's my imbalance. Obviously if it's cancer, they're probably far down that road, but if it's, you know, even just a everyday imbalance and then to be able to work as a unit to help, you know, a female feel like she's being taken care of from all angles, you know, I think that's an, it's really powerful. And I do agree with you that it's often really chopped up and broken up and there's more of it and certainly, you know, probably in bigger cities um, around the country, I would think. Um, I mean, I'm in Los Angeles, I'm in Santa Monica. It's like, you know, the heart and soul of integrative medicine and holistic approaches to treatments. Um, but it's not enough, you know, it's just the beginning, I think. Um, but I, I believe in it wholeheartedly as well, of course. Yeah. And I, 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 um, I think the, I think the potential is kind of unlimited. I mean, I think, yeah. You know, the more that we can do of that, we can have such much, much, much better outcomes. But like you say, that's really only happening in, I mean, I guess it's starting to happen in other cities, but you yeah. know, it really only has been happening in kind of the big, the big cities. Yeah. So we just have to keep pushing it out there and then, you know, and that's, that is the idea. Supporting it and getting it out there and saying how much we, you know, how much good it could do. And then there's the inside, this sort of, you know, deep Western medicine world and sort of getting in from there and pushing it out to the outside to real scientific, you know, when I say science, I don't mean to diminish Chinese medicine or Eastern medicine, but I mean, you know, your sort of traditional Western medicine scientists and get in their heads and say, 
no, let's let's like look at everything and look at all the possibilities, um, not as ancillary or last minute treatments or last minute help, um, or not as a way to like sue the patient, but to actually treat, I think is is another thing. Just as I spent a lot of time talking, you know, in that medical world about listen to your patient, you know, and the patient has to be the advocate, but the doctor has to be the listener. I think just as you were saying, that's what you do naturally in your practice. So to be able to translate some of that into more traditional Western medicine, I think would then even further open up the larger picture. I think so too. I think part of the struggle with, with the West is that everything's become so specialized. Yeah. Right. So it's, it's like, are, are we a car? Are we just the sum, you know, total of our parts? Right. And you're seeing different specialists for every conceivable thing under the sun. I mean, I think there's really some value in, in, in sort of the old approach of the family practice doctor who actually knew the family and knew the parents and knew the grandparents and what, you know, had watched these sort of hereditary issues, you know, run through the family. I mean, that, that in and of itself, you know, will give you a lot of information. So, yeah, I think there's a lot to be learned from both ends and, and still I'll stand by it. I think really what, what science boils down to is just really, really good observation, you know, paying close attention, you know, to the details. Um, I'd be remiss if I didn't if I didn't sneak it in here, um, please. Because um, the, the one of the most vital things that I think we can offer um, w- women from our perspective, as far as women's health goes, mm-hmm. is the idea of deep hydration. Because hydration is really, really, really vital. It's the essence of of Yin energy, which 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 we all need, but. Um, but, but certainly specifically, I think women tend to need more of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and drinking water isn't enough. Mm-hmm. Drinking water is clearing in Chinese medicine. It'll clear out toxins. It'll clear out a buildup of sort of toxicity in our bodies. But um, it doesn't hydrate at a, at a kind of deep and fundamental level. And so one of the biggest, I think, dietary values that Chinese medicine offers is the idea of wet food, right? Of eating congees, kitcheries, soup, stew, uh, braised foods, right? Because the idea with that is that these foods have soaked up a lot of water over a long period of time. So they are holding that water within the food itself. And once we ingest that food and it gets down into the GI tract and into the intestines, then the body can absorb that water over a long period of time. It's like time release hydration. Um, And, you know, if there was one thing uh, unquestionably that I would recommend to everybody, and I do harass my patients endlessly about this, is, um, you know, at least one of your meals per day should be wet you know, should be in soup form, um, because hydration is, is a, or dehydration is just an absolute scourge. And I know it sounds simple and I know we're all anxious to kind of get to, you know, what supplements should we take and so on and so forth. But I'll I'll tell you in 20 years, the best answer is always the simplest one. And hydration is absolutely the best place to start. So I couldn't, I just couldn't get through this conversation without at least. No, one. I love it. I love it. We were, I work with this incredible holistic nutritionist and that's what she spends the majority of her time talking about too. 
is how hydration and the lack of nutrients and so many of the foods that we eat and we don't get hydrated from them. And that, that is simply the most important thing. And we're all walking around dehydrated and just drinking water isn't enough that we're not actually absorbing it in our bodies. Um, so I, I, I appreciate it. And I'm glad you did, because I think it's really important. And I think that is, you know, you know, you know, when you're dehydrated, but then it's too late. Exactly. Precisely. Right? If you know you're dehydrated, it is already too late. It's already too late. Yeah. And it's so it's a real lifestyle for a lot of people change or just, you know, something to, you know, a lifestyle of being hydrated. Um, and it, you're, and it is not really typical in sort of the foods that we norm, we normally eat, um, you know, in the United States, it's not, we don't eat hydrating foods. Right. And we eat a lot of dehydrating foods and we just don't hydrate ourselves. Um, and all the drinks that we, you know, have at our disposal are so dehydrating. Um, so yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more and I'm glad that you did. And I really appreciate your time and this was amazing. And I really, um, I hope that everyone will take a, a little bit away from what you said and uh, hopefully a lot away, but even just those little bits of information that you put out there that are so important you know, the hydration and just about seeing us as, you know, whole people and patients. And from my perspective, the most important thing was the further encouragement for women in particular to, you know, know themselves, know your normal and speak up um, and not be afraid to walk into any doctor's office, any practitioner and say, this is what's going on with me. Um, and it's, and it's different or it's normal, but I don't like that normal, whatever it is. Honor your body and trust your body. Yeah. Absolutely. Be your own best advocate. Cause if you're not, no one else will be. No one else will be sadly. That is all too true.